Our scripture reading for tonight, we return back to 2 Corinthians. We're picking it up at 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 7. Last week, as we introduced this chapter, I pointed out to you that here is where Paul is beginning to defend his ministry from those enemies who have come in during the time of Paul's absence. After Paul left Corinth, um, and we don't know if he, he was actually paid another visit or not, there seems to be some indications that perhaps there was a second visit in there, um, but sometime after the writing of the first letter to the Corinthians, for sure, um, these, these men, these teachers have infiltrated the church, seeking to persuade the church that the gospel, as preached by Paul, was deficient. That what Paul said in regards to our salvation of being justified by faith in Christ and in Christ alone was not truly sufficient for salvation. And they've come in, as Paul would say, with another gospel, with a false gospel, with a heresy, with false teaching. And the way they've come in is to, first of all, attack Paul. And, and that's kind of where we're at with this. Okay, that, That's where we are at when we start at verse 7. He, he's responding to the attack that has been made on him. In the first six verses, Paul reminds them of the fact that, that we have a responsibility, as I mentioned last week, as the church to be on the offensive. We are the people who are to be taking it to the world, not in a militaristic physical way, but in a spiritual way, tearing apart the arguments of the world, bringing down their lofty opinions so that we take every thought that is out there in the world and we take it captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Picking it up then at verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say... His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits. We will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. 
For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so as we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another areas in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we know that man looks on the outward, but you look upon the inward man. You see our hearts, you know our minds, you know our thoughts before we even think them. Let us then be bold in spirit and humble in actions. Let us use the weapons that you have given us to fight our enemy. Let us use your holy word to defeat our enemy. Let the words of Pastor Bob strengthen us and encourage us. Give him the clarity of mind and the power of words to encourage us to fight the good fight that we face every day. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to look at three things from this particular passage. First of all, that Paul has been condemned by enemies. And that actually takes up the the bulk. It takes up verses 7 all the way through verse 17 of our passage. Secondly, the issue of commending ourselves that Paul takes up there in verse 18, where it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. So that'll be our second point. And then the third point is the one who is commended by God, even as Paul finishes with that thought, but the one whom the Lord commends. Condemned by enemies, commending ourselves, condemned by God. As I said a a moment ago, that the tactic of these enemies of Paul is to attack Paul. They're going after him personally. And by personally, I mean they're attacking his appearance. Paul tells us in other places that he's no great shakes. He's nowhere, he's not somebody to look at. In, in terms of he, he doesn't come as a as a, a godlike figure type of thing. He, he's not a cover boy. He has no physical appearance that is desirous in that regard. Um, we have some extra biblical material that that if we weigh in as part of history, uh, it would appear that Paul is a rather short man. He has uh, rather taunt, I would say, features with a great big hooked nose. Probably not somebody who's going to win any awards in that regard. One of the things the enemies are doing is they're saying, how can you believe this guy? Look at what he looks like. They're saying that that which the gospel that Paul is preaching is affected by the physical appearance of Paul. And you really shouldn't listen to Paul Because look, he doesn't look any good. He's ugly. Why would you listen to an ugly man? How can an ugly man tell you the truth? 
This is actually the tactic that these people are using. Not only are they going after his appearance, but they're going after his character. They're digging a little bit deeper beyond just the the surface of his physical appearance, his bodily appearance. And they're saying, this guy doesn't have a, a good upright character. This guy is a shyster. This guy's just ripping you off. This guy is, is not really honest. This guy is a hypocrite. Simon Kistemacher in his commentary on this part says that, that really what they're saying about Paul is that he is simply a barking dog who never bites. He's all show, no depth. Why would you listen to that guy? Look, the guy promised he'd come back. Has he been here? Look at the way he writes to you. Look at this letter we have from him. Was he like that when he was here? See, the guy's got a no good character. You can't believe what Paul has told you. They're going after his speech. Paul himself readily admits he's no great speaker. He's not a great preacher. That wasn't, that wasn't Paul's gift, we would say. It wasn't like people would sit and go, oh, the words just flow from his mouth. Paul is not an orator. Paul speaks in ways that are probably gruff, abrupt, short, to the point. It doesn't flow with his words. So people are saying, these enemies are saying... You remember when Paul was here? Remember listening to him? That wasn't, that was, those weren't great sermons. Those weren't great oratories. This, this is what you're settling for? See, all the time, what's going on is the fact that these men probably carry the opposite characteristics. So they think. They probably are great orators. They probably are men of handsome physical features. Probably are men who are very smooth. They attack Paul. The point that Paul is making in all of those verses, from 7 all the way through 17, in, in the midst of what he's saying is this. By attacking me, you attack my apostleship. Paul could care less if they make fun of his physical appearance. Paul could care less if they make fun of his speech and maybe even his speech impediments. Paul could really care less if they think so little of him that they they have not bothered to see the consistency of his character and are ready to judge it on an incident here or there. Paul could care less. But you see, Paul bears the weight of being an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by attacking him, not his doctrine, not his teaching, but attacking these things about him, they are indeed attacking him as an apostle of Jesus Christ. They're attacking his standing. They're attacking his ordination. They're attacking his call by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are calling into question Acts 9. What's really going on is this. These men are under the surface basically saying, 
Acts chapter 9, made up. Didn't happen. That whole thing about Paul on the way to Damascus and, you know, Jesus speaking to him and calling him and then him going to Damascus and having, you know, the scales fall off and all that stuff, didn't happen. How could it? Why would God choose? Why would Christ choose this guy? There's nothing about Paul that would have you choose him. So why would he do that? Paul's lying. Now we know the truth because God's word contains the truth. We know that Paul has been called by Christ. We know that Paul has been called by Christ to be an apostle. So by attacking Paul, they're attacking his ordination as an apostle. But by attacking that apostleship, they are indeed attacking Christ. See, they'd never say that. They'd never publicly declare that. They'd never say, hey, we're here in Corinth because we want to call into question Paul's apostleship. Much less would they say, we're here in Corinth because we want to call into question Jesus Christ. Oh, no, there's the typical head nodding and giving acknowledgement to Christ and so on and so forth. They're even claiming we're Christ. We belong to Christ. In fact, their claim is we're the ones who truly belong to Christ, not Paul. Of course not Paul. So this is, this is the way in which these enemies are seeking to destroy not only Paul's apostleship, not only are they attacking Christ, but ultimately, this is their means of attacking the gospel. They want a different gospel. They want the gospel of justification by works. They want justification by the law. They want justification by circumcision. They want justification by Old Testament ceremonial washings. They want a justification that they can control, that they can be in charge of. They do not want grace. You say, well, why would that be? Why why would anyone want to attack grace? Because, you see, if, if you want to promote a gospel of justification by works that gives you an enormous amount of power to declare who's in and who's out. Besides, you get to set the standards. Salvation by grace, you don't get to control who comes in. You don't get, to say, you don't get that choice. That's God's choice. You don't get to set standards because it's by grace. Are ye saved? And this not of yourself. Because it comes by faith, which is the gift of God. So their attack on Paul is an attack on the very gospel message that is being promoted. We could go into all the little details of each verse, but I, I think that suffices you to get the picture. Paul's not done with these people. We're going to meet him again in the very next chapter. We're going to talk about this again. So rather than kind of keep going over the same thing chapter after chapter, okay, just kind of keep that in mind. That's where we're at. All right? 
That's the tactic of these enemies of Paul. A tactic, by the way, which is interesting because you still see it in our world today. Very seldom do enemies of the gospel really attack the gospel. They always attack an individual. And by attacking the individual, that is their way, Satan's way, of attacking the gospel. So you always need to step back and be careful, okay, of those who, who want to attack, okay? You, you have to be careful of that. Because there's usually, it's not the person they're after. In the Christian sphere, it's the gospel message that they don't like. Who likes a God who elects some and not others? I mean, you think our free world thinking type people want to hear that? They want to shut that down. They want that closed off. You think they want to hear a salvation by grace? Not in the least. Not in the least. They want a salvation based upon their own choice. We get to choose, as long as, you, as long as you're faithful towards whatever religion. That's, we get to choose who's saved. You see, those are the people that'll make it into heaven. So secondly, leaving that behind, understanding we're going to come back to it in chapters that come, let's focus in on what's going on in verse 18, because it's not unrelated. Paul talks about here, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. Now, he's actually speaking of his enemies. Okay? He doesn't say that. Now, to my enemies, I say. But this is Paul's way of coming back and saying, look, I know what my enemies are doing. My enemies are the men who are commending themselves. They're building themselves up as they tear me down. As they seek to bring me down, and the gospel along with it, at the same time, they are commending themselves. They are speaking highly of themselves. I divided it into, into two ways, into two thoughts. One, this idea of commending oneself is the idea of self-exaltation. The idea of self-exaltation. Muhammad Ali was perhaps one of the best at this. I almost said the greatest at it. Well, that would be appropriate because that's what he kept saying. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Self-exaltation. I think our president might have a few lessons to learn on this level as well. That idea of exalting oneself. It's interesting if you just go back to Proverbs. Okay? Listen to the wisdom that was given back in Proverbs chapter 27. The second verse. It says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. See, these enemies of Paul there in Corinth are not listening to Proverbs 27.2. They're praising themselves. They're lifting themselves up. 
They're exalting themselves in order to make Paul look small. To make Paul look little. To make the gospel seem of no effect. Paul says, this isn't the way we go about things. As Christians, we are not those who are self-exalters. Secondly, self-exaltation leads to self-justification. Why does one lift oneself up? Why does one exalt oneself in order to justify one's position? In order to justify one's ideas? Spiritually, people are self-exalting in order to gain salvation. Jesus told a parable about that. Turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke chapter 18. And you could just as well insert this right into 2 Corinthians 10. Paul could have just as well referred back to this at this 17th verse. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Listen how this fits to what's going on in Corinth and what Paul is explaining to us here in 2 Corinthians 10. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Sounds like the false teachers in Corinth, doesn't it? Well, what's what's the parable? Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I give. Self-exaltation leads to what? Self-justification. He's saying, Lord, see me? See me? See what I do, Lord? I do all these things right as compared to all these sinners. Let's compare that tax collector over there. Lord, you know what a sinner he is. It's the same thing as these false teachers standing there in Corinth going, Lord, you know how great we are. You know the eloquency of our speech. You know our fine physical appearances. Lord, we're not, we're not delayed in any way. We, we don't have any thorn in our flesh like Paul does. Lord, and we speak well. Unlike that Paul. You know, Paul. Lord, we're we're Christ. Not Paul. It's what we're preaching is truth. Not Paul. Jesus continues, verse 13, But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See why it's self-justification? Because God doesn't justify. 
that individual. The only way justification comes to that individual is you self-proclaim it. But you see, self-exaltation, self-justification leads to self-condemnation. Who went home justified? The one would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man went down to his house justified. What about the other? Rather than the other. What about the other? The one who exalted himself? What happens to him? He's humbled. He's brought low. He's condemned. What does Psalm 127 verse 1 say? Anybody remember it? Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. These false teachers were seeking to build their own house without the Lord's blessing, and they labor in vain. In a little snippet, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is taking to task these enemies of the gospel. These men who desire to commend themselves Paul says it's not the right way it's not truth instead if you look at the rest of that 17th verse Paul says that the way this truly goes is that it is the one who the Lord commends it's not the one who commends himself who is approved but the one the Lord commends Who does the Lord commend? See, it raises that question, doesn't it? Paul is saying the one approved by God is the one that God commends. Well, who does God commend? Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 2. I'll answer it with three quick statements. Okay? Who is the one that God commends? commends. Romans chapter 2. Start at verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law... Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will commend you, will condemn you, who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Who does God praise? The one whose heart has been circumcised. The one who has come for cleansing, not by the written code, Not by his circumcision, 
but by Christ. God praises. God commends. God approves of the one who has been washed by Christ. Secondly, go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Paul is in the midst of a series of greetings here. Greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. And Paul says in the 16th verse, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This greeting, you see, that Paul is speaking here of is the greeting of acceptance. In the, the Jewish custom, the idea is if you greet one another with shalom, that means you come to the other individual in peace. You greet one another with that holy kiss. You greet one another with that sign of affection. You greet one another with your personal shalom. Paul then says, all the churches of Christ greet you. Meaning... What what he's meaning by that is that Christ, through others, comes with his greeting of peace. Which means all is well. Which means I only speak highly of you. See, this is the. the, Let let me go back and, 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 and restay this. When two Jewish people would walk up to each other, okay, on the street, they would say to each other, Shalom. Now this was this was not just a hi, how are you? Shalom was a very specific word. It meant that as I greet you, I am greeting you in peace. There is nothing against I have nothing against you. I I, I have no ill will towards you. I, I have nothing burning in my heart that, that I'm angry with you. I'm upset with you about something. I say the shalom honestly, that, that we are at peace. You as the person coming the other way, respond in like. Shalom, meaning that you're greeting them and accepting them as a brother. That there is no ill will between you. If you refuse to say shalom, if the person walks by you and says shalom and you say nothing and walk past, it means I'm angry with you. I don't want to speak to you. I don't want to talk to you. There is an issue that is dividing us and I cannot say the word shalom. Now, you do the same thing when you part. Okay, when, when two Jewish people, they would meet each other, say their shalom, perhaps stop and talk for a few minutes, discuss matters perhaps of business, perhaps of politics, maybe some issues of religion, and then as they leave, they say to one another, shalom. Nothing has happened during our time together that takes away the peace that is ours. And you respond, shalom. 
All is well. Hmm. Where did you hear that tonight? It is well, it is well with my soul. Why? Because there is a peace that comes to us through Jesus Christ. That's the the meaning of this little phrase tucked in at the end here of chapter 16 of Romans. Paul is saying, because by Christ we are saved. In Christ there is peace. Christ has nothing ill to say about you. Nothing, Christ has nothing bad to say about you. Christ has nothing against you. It is well, it is well with my soul. As I journey through life, as you journey through life, even as we approach death, what is Christ constantly saying? Shalom! Shalom. Christ's constant greeting to us is shalom. All is well. We've just responded in song. Shalom, Christ, to you as well. All is well. All is well with my soul. Who is the one who is approved by God? Who is the one who is commended by God? The one who is in Christ? The one who by Christ has been saved. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start at verse 5. Ephesians 6, 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly matters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. What point is Paul making? He's saying that the one who is commended, the one who is approved, is the one who does all things for Christ. Even the one who is the bondservant. Does Paul tell us that he is a slave of Christ? He's been set free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil. And now he is a slave of Christ. And as a slave of Christ, all that we do for Christ is commended by God. All that we do for Christ is approved by God. Who is the one commended? The one who self-exalts, the one who self-justifies and then ends up self-condemning? No. No, those are the enemies of Paul that are at work in Corinth. Who is the one who is approved by God? Who is the one who is commended by God? It is the one who by Christ knows salvation. It is the one who in Christ knows peace. 
And it is the one who for Christ willingly serves. That's you and I, brother and sister in Christ. We're the ones who are commended by God. We're the ones who are approved by God. Because we say so, because we self-exalt ourselves and therefore self-justify ourselves, no. Because God says so. God approves those who by Christ, in Christ, and for Christ are seeking to live like Christ. God's people say, Father, again, we thank you for your word, for its reminder to us of not only the fact of this great peace that we have from you, but also, Lord, that because of the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives, that we are actually approved by you. We are commended by you. Lord, we pray that you would keep us from the ways of the world. Lord, how prone we are to wander from this truth and to gravitate towards the way the world thinks and how much we, we fall into the trap of, of wanting to self-exalt and self-justify us, to always find a sinner worse than us to point out, rather than coming before you as a contrite tax collector saying, I'm a sinner. Father, may we be reminded that the one approved by you is the one who comes before you acknowledging their sin, looking to Christ and to Christ alone, seeking in Christ to serve fully, completely, joyously for Christ. In His name, God's people say, Amen.